Welcome to the Sunday Recap, everyone. This is a podcast of Stones Crossing Church, here where we talk about the sermon. Week after week, there's a sermon, and we talk about it. That's what we do. <laughs> How's it going, you guys? Good. Good morning. Mitch is back. I'm here. Hey. I'm here today. Hey. Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah, Welcome Chris, in, in 2020, in the month of November, you can't tell people that someone has a cold. Nah. Without everybody thinking you yeah. have COVID. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. He starts Sorry. sniffling and we're I like, don't you got the have Rona? COVID. <laughs> that is a public service announcement announcement for today's episode. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get phone calls and emails no, like Mitch? I, I have a few people mention stay it. Home, stay home. Yeah. Stay away from me. People are like, uh, I don't know. Or if you have a cold, I'm like, I think it's more sinus infection, but that's okay. Like, <laughs> Sorry. I was like, I will respect Sorry. your wishes. Yeah. It's just funny. Sorry. <laughs> well, we're all back today. Uh, Mitch, Ariel, and myself, uh, we are going to be talking through John. Uh, this is uh, the, the story that, that kind of gets nestled into the beginning of John chapter 8. That, uh, that's the story of the woman caught in adultery. We're going to dig into the, all the details of this today. But before we do, let's go ahead and talk about a really cool event that we do here at Stones every Christmas time. Uh, it's called the Local Christmas Outreach. Um, and this is something that's done through the United Way. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, fill us in on the details. What is this What is this all about? What do we do? What are, what, what are we doing for people? Yeah. So, I mean, you, in, in churches in the past, if you've been involved with, if you're new with us, you know, this is commonly um, referred to as angel tree is what people com- call oh, it sometimes. Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Johnson County United Way, we partner with them. Um, we adopt 75 children's Christmas gifts. Really, that's where we start because sometimes we run through that 75 pretty quick mm-hmm. and then we try to get more. So if you're interested in this, get on it quick. So right. if you're someone, um, and again, when we adopt their Christmas gifts, what that means is we purchase, you know, 100 to $150 of Christmas gifts for each child. You have the opportunity to take them to the family's house. Typically, you get to interact with them, but this year due to COVID, they're really right. saying just drop them off. But we're introducing a new idea where on December 16th, you actually can bring your gifts by the church and we'll do a drive through with the family. We'll give them some oh. extra things too. It's like, so like the family will come down to the yep, church and, and we'll give them some non perishables, some cookies, some some extra fun stuff alongside with the gifts since we can't go to them and like meet them. In That's person. awesome. I like so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're interested, get on it. You should have received an email yesterday. Right. Um, with more information about it. But you can sign up in the lobby on Sunday mornings. You can reply to the email that you received. Um, we can give you the information digitally if you're not coming yeah. to church. And so, yeah, so who knows? It could be Sunday, and we could be through our first 75 families yes. with, the, with the way our world is right now. For sure, so for sure. We had a lot of people emailing yesterday. Yeah. So. You know what's neat, too, is I've, I know in the past we've had entire D groups come together and say, hey, we want to do this as a as a way to serve together as a group. And so uh, whole D groups will uh, sponsor a family, like a family with three kids or something like that. And they'll, they'll, they'll just kind of pull together and take care of one whole family, which is super cool. And so um, we would really encourage you to jump on that and yeah. to, uh, to be a part of it this year. And so if you have questions, you, uh, uh, like Mitch said, you can um, respond to the email that you should have received. And if you didn't get that email, then just reach out to Mitch. Yeah, email me. Yeah. Which um, I did set myself up for that Sunday morning in the video. I <laughs> yeah. said, hey, if you're not getting emails... Let me know, and people have been letting me know. Yeah, which is good. which is which is bad that you're not getting emails, but it's I appreciate people letting me know so we can try to fix it. Definitely, so. yeah, we want to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. 
Well, this week, Pastor Scott is continuing in the series, This Is My Story. This is the third week of the series. And in this uh, sermon, he spoke on the woman caught in adultery. This is a story that it, we find in uh, John chapter 8. And, um, and technically, I guess it's John 7, 53, and, it, and then it runs through uh, 8, 11. But um, this story is, is fascinating. We're going to get into some of the details of the story here in a second. But this, this is, you guys, this is what I love what um, Scott did is before he even got into the, the story, he went back to Isaiah 42. Um, you guys remember this? Let, and mm-hmm. I, I'd love to go back there and start there as well, because what he did with this was so neat. Um, so he went back to Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 42 is this, uh, there's really this picture of the Messiah, right? This servant that, you know, we, we, we call this servant, the suffering servant from Isaiah. And the beginning of of uh, Isaiah 42 really starts to to lay out who this servant is and what he's like. And um, this I'm going to just start at the beginning, verse 1 here. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And so you see uh, that that last part is the is verse 3 that Scott talked about, the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick. And what, what he wanted to do here is really just illustrate really the, the concept of grace from, mm-hmm. from this. Um, and then he ends up tying it back in at the end. I just thought it was so neat how we can see this picture of the Messiah um, here in Isaiah, and then how Jesus perfectly fulfills that once we get to this to this story. Well, if we wanted to unpack that um, that Isaiah passage a little bit more, what what you see here is a contrast with the rulers who who oppress the the weak nations, mm-hmm. and so now we have um, a Messiah who's chosen and is going to deliver people who are at the end of their of their hope, um, yeah. and so when you jump ahead to, to John, now you have this woman who's without hope, you know, um, in her situation that she's found herself in. Um, so it's a, it's a really great example of, of what a gentle ruler Christ is. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And how is she bruised? I think, I think just for those that maybe were struggling to understand, you know, the, the quote or the phrase, Mm -hmm. you know, a bruised wick will not break. Well, again, you know, we can deny, deny our sin for a pretty long time, but at the point of which being dragged through the middle of the street to be stoned for our sin, right. yeah. I don't think anybody um, is in the place of denying their sin. Right. They're recognizing um, the mistakes that they've made, right. yeah. which we get into that later. But but I think that, that again, that that is how, how she's bruised and how she lacks hope, as you said, mm-hmm. you know, because she's literally, her sin is open in the streets, mm-hmm. you know, for everyone to see. Yeah, her guilt has been established, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Well, let's look at the passage here. Um, and uh, what I want to do b- before we, because I think we have to sort of address the, the, the big, brackets. Yeah, the brackets there at the beginning of this section. Um, if you're reading through your Bible, and, and honestly, I think this is in almost in every Bible, and especially if you have a good study Bible, that you'll see at the beginning of this of this little story, you see it, it say that the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 811. Yeah. Does not include this story. So what does that mean? When it says the earliest manuscripts do not include this story, what is that actually telling us? It's telling us that we have found some manuscripts that have the story, uh-huh. 
And then the ones that we've found since then that are earlier in their dating don't have it. So now we have to kind of put all these together and see where the most cohesion takes place. Right. Um, And something I would love to add here is that I've noticed on Facebook, maybe you guys have seen this, just like some of these um, posts going around where – you know, if, if you've been faithful to the King James Version Bible for a long time and you and you notice that, like, some of the newer translations like ESV or NIV no longer have certain verses or they'll put them in brackets or they'll put a footnote. And then, you know, people get upset and they're like, look, they're, they're altering the Bible. But there is a certain amount of taking manuscripts that we are finding as we go along in mm-hmm. archaeology and, mm-hmm. and studying what we have in front of us and the evidence we have in front of us and, and finding those those um, parallels between the the many copies. Let me ask you guys this, and I don't know why I'm in this mode, but I feel like I'm in the mode of what are the questions that people may have? Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, when we say it's not in the earliest manuscripts, yep. are we saying that this passage of Scripture, and I don't know if we can answer this because they're canonizing books, but would it have been in the manuscripts at the time of the canonization of Scripture to say to say that, you know, these are the books that are the part of the New Testament? It's a complicated question because— it depends on what you mean by canon. Okay. <laughs> so, so it, it, if you're talking about you know end of the fourth century when you have mm-hmm. kind of a finalized list of the 27 books of the New yes, Testament, yes. If you're talking about that point, I would say yes because you have um, certain codices like the uh, so codices, I'm using big words here, but you have certain manuscripts that actually have the story in there. But then you have other manuscripts like there's one called the Codex, uh, Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex uh, Washington. It, it's like Washington. It's like Washingtonicus or something like that. Anyway, uh, but you have ones like that that are from around that time mm-hmm. period. And so those are manuscripts of the New Testament that we still have today that are from those that time period, which is crazy. They're very, very old. Um, and those those two in particular – do not have this story in it. Um, that, that, that was my question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's, that's what's interesting. You go to some later manuscripts and you'll, you're going to see this story in it, but, but here's what's fascinating about this particular story is that it's not always in the same place. Is that sometimes it's earlier in the book of John, sometimes it's later in the book of John, sometimes it's at the beginning of chapter 8, sometimes it's at the end of chapter 8, like, or sometimes it's not there at all. There's like five different versions of this story that, or, or the placement of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's hard, it, it's hard to tell. I, I think the best evidence is that this story was probably not in the original, um, mm-hmm. uh, the original gospel of John. So why would it be there? Right. So here, here's what we kind of have to realize here is, is when you have a, a story like this that has been included in in the book for such a long time, you you can't just rip something out of it at this point and say, "Hey, this really shouldn't have been there in the first place. Let's just not let's just not have it in there anymore." Some people have tried to do that. People get really upset about it. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I think that we see that throughout the New Testament, you have a number of. Uh, like if if you've read through the New Testament and and you have a like I said a good study Bible, you're going to see this little that little footnote in there a couple times. The earliest manuscripts do not include this. Okay, so a good example might be the long end, what they call the long ending of Mark. Um, so the very it's like mm-hmm. Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 16. Um, those are another one of those ones where it's like, well, that's probably not part of the original. Um, 
really interesting thing. Uh, here, here's another one. If you've ever read through Revelation and you got to that that little part of Revelation where it's like, uh, you know, the mark of the beast is 666, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in some manuscripts, it doesn't say 666. It says 616. And that's weird. Um, there, there's little, there's other little passages in there like um, uh, Mark 929, where, where Jesus is talking about demons. And he says like, you know, these, this demon can only come out with prayer. But then in other manuscripts, it says, well, this, these demons only come out with prayer and fasting. Okay. So there's, there's a number of places where there's these, these little differences. Now, the one in Mark and the one here in John are probably the two biggest ones where you see major differences that, that are happening. And this is what Bart Ehrman says about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out there because Bart Ehrman, so he is, he's not a Christian, but he's a New Testament scholar. Uh-oh. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and his, he's kind of made it his, his life's goal here to try to basically to try to get people to, to not trust the Bible. Like that's, that's sort of his goal. And so he'll throw out a little quippy saying here and there and, and, uh, something that's very, you know, has a lot of rhetoric and, and a lot of flair to it, um, that will shock people. One of his most famous ones in a book called misquoting Jesus, he says, there are more variants in the new Testament than there are words more variance than there are words in the New Testament. And to a certain extent, when you do the math, he's kind of right, but he's also kind of wrong. <laughs> uh, because here's, here's the truth of the matter. Um, there are some, some variants in the, in the manuscripts that we have, okay? Right now, in the New Testament, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw like some, some apologetic stuff here at you guys. So, no, you're teaching us. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know, I'm we're sitting. So, <laughs> so right now, we have really close to 35,000 manuscripts from the, from, for the New Testament. Okay, 35,000. And these are uh, either Greek, which is somewhere around 9,000 right now, and then the rest of them are usually Latin, okay, or Syriac or some other, some other um, Middle Eastern language. And so you have all of these, these uh, different manuscripts, 35,000 of them, which is just crazy. And then whenever you have one little um, thing that's different from one of them, that means you have 34,999 variants. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's why he can say there's more variants than there are words in the New Testament. Um, and so what are – but the question really is, is what are the variants? So here, here's, here's the truth of it. 99.75% of the variants that we see are very common. These are things like spelling variants. Like sometimes John's name has two N's in it and sometimes it has one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a direct article like the word – in other words, the word the is in, is in a phrase and sometimes it's not. Sometimes uh, an order is reversed. Like so someone may say like, you know, mix and chop and then in another, in, in another manuscript it will say chop and mix. Okay, you know, it, it, it's stuff like that, where those are the most common variants that we see, and that's 99.75% of all the variants. The rest of them is basically coming down to this. We're talking about 40 lines of the New Testament. That's, that's f- um, a total of 400 words, all right, that, that, that we're really dealing with here. And, and all of these, and even Bart Ehrman has said that all of these things have no effect on any essential doctrine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I think what Scott said on Sunday was right um, when he says, when we're looking at the woman caught in adultery in this story, that it doesn't add to it. It doesn't add to the doctrine of Christ and, and his grace and what he does for us. It doesn't take away from it at all. What it does is it seems to supplement it. It seems to, seems to highlight it 
in, in, a, in a way. And so why do we still have it in there? Well, maybe it wasn't in the original. Maybe it was. Okay, we, we, we don't know. But at the end of the day, it's not taking away anything. It's not adding anything. What it's doing is it's, it's painting a picture. It's painting a story that really emphasizes and, and highlights the grace of God and who Jesus was. And so there's no reason to not think of it as, as being part of it. Man, I feel like we need to hit the clap track for you. Over there after <laughs> which that I don't one. know which one it is. <laughs> no, that's the laughing That's not one. it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the one, but you definitely deserve the clap track. Wow. So Big time. People can clap for you there. That was really helpful. Well, so what I would say is to, I mean, this is something that we, that we talk about in the apologetics class. So if you ever want to take the apologetics class with me, this is part of what we talk about. So Yes. Yeah. I think that would be great to yeah. really have a firm foundation for what you believe and why you can stand on the word of God. Absolutely. You know, because this is, this is truly what we uphold as, as our, um, as our authority, as the revealed word of, of God himself. So, yes. yeah. Well, let's go ahead and read the passage, um, starting there at 7.53 and then going all the way through 8.11. Would someone read that? Sure. I'll read it. 8.53. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. All right. Yeah, thank you. Here's where we're going to start with this. So so here's a woman. She is caught in the act of adultery. Um, her guilt is established, right? This is this is kind of the, 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 the issue with here with, with this whole thing. And now that her guilt is established, she has to be put under the demands of the law. And the law is super clear about this. Um, this is right out of Leviticus 20.10. It says, if a man commits adultery with, his, um, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay, so there's, there is the law, the, the weight of the law on her. Um, why? Like, why does sin demand that kind of justice? We see it all throughout um, Scripture that God demands holiness from his people. And um, so he's created the, the law to convict them of their sin. And so when these types of things happen, they're purging it from among them. So kind of like when you hear about the teaching of the leaven and the bread, and you have to remove it all um, in order to have it not um, taint the rest of, of the bread mm-hmm. or the dough. And so um, they're basically saying she is sinful. She deserves death to remove her from among us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so Ariel, I mean, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, the 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 issue though is is in our I think 
let's just comment on how like our world might react to something like that even today. Cause when we look at something like that today, we see adultery as being so commonplace. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like it, 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 it happens yeah. all the time. So, and we don't, we don't enact this kind of justice today. So, so there's a, I, I guess, a people in our culture may balk at something like that and be like, wow, God seems really unfair, seems really unjust. Like th- this is crazy mm-hmm. that, that he would demand something like this. How would we respond to people when they come to us with a question like that? Man, that's, it would be a very long response. Let's start there. <laughs> but I, I, so, so the first thing that comes to mind is, is the way that we view the law um, and how we think about the law. And again, um, living with inside God's covenant and practicing his law is um, living underneath God's blessing. So it's, so it's, it's, these are things that are done, um, that are given by God, um, to help, um, maintain, um, living within the covenant blessing of God. So, so it's like by these practices, while some of them seem, and some people may look at them in today's context and say, that's not justice, but really it is like, it's, 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 it's to create, a society um, which is impossible, which is what we realize, but yeah, because to, of sin, yeah, because of sin, yeah. it's impossible. But it's the attempt to say that this is what community looks like under God, mm-hmm. and so here's so really when we're when when they're living out the law properly, they're living in God's blessing, um, and so I I think first that that's what how they would have understood it. The second side is once we start to look at okay our culture and we talk about why would we think something like adultery um, is maybe not permissible, but not as much of a problem as they did? Right. Um, I think it really comes back to the question again of um, it's we're, we're an individualistic culture focused on our human flourishing. Yeah. And so people kind of want this you do you, you know, right. you do you mentality. But the issue is at some point that has to stop. And without justice being given by something that's outside of the situation, being God in this case, you know, giving the rules, that, that stopping's all across the board. Yeah. You know, that can be for someone that, not to be, you know, frank, but that can be for someone that, you know, well, molesting children really isn't that bad. Right. You know, and, and you open up the room to say, well, if our primary goal is the human, you know, individual's experience of flourishing and doing what they want, then everybody gets to have their own justice, but nobody really wants that. Yeah. Like, I think that's the piece that we have to recognize too, that the intent of the law, again, is to, um, is God's way of punishing sin and achieving justice. Mm -hmm. Well, we all really want justice. Like when you really think about it, when, when you hear about something that's unjust, whether it be, you know, a murderer, you know, or someone that steals something from somebody or yeah. something, someone does something to you, you want justice. Yeah. But you also, in our current context, we have this you-do-you mentality. <laughs> well, those two things don't work together well. Yeah. So, we, so again, we have to see justice as God is the one that establishes what is true, true justice and what is the penalty for sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if we don't see that, really, I, th- I think we're kind of lying to ourselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if someone doesn't want, says that they don't want justice, just take their wallet and see how they react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every, everybody wants justice. They just want to determine it on their own ability. But again, yeah. that that's impossible within yeah. the context of living in a world with other people, which mm-hmm. we all do. Yeah. yeah. You brought up a good point because you have to have some someone who is transcendent Absolutely. in order to apply 
what the standard is mm-hmm. and you know what the what what the penalty is mm-hmm. at the same time and that and that has to be transcendent so that it uh, in other words it has to be outside of humanity in order for that to um uh, be universal for all yeah, it has of to be universal. It has to be across all people mm-hmm. groups. Right. And and again, we would say we we say that like you know in our modern context, some people might say no. Let this tribe in this country do what they want to do until it conflicts. Yeah, with your idea of what justice is, you know. So let them do what they want to do until I'm driving by with my boat and they shoot an arrow at me. Right. You know, or whatever it may be, there become there's always a breaking point, point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and so we need to recognize that when we look for justice, we have to look to a source that's outside of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. that's the only source that can that can give justice across. And, you know, and I think the reason spectrum. is because authority has to be outside of of humanity in order for it to be authoritative. Because if you're having just another human make up the rules, they're under the same penalty of sin because they are broken as well. That you just can't have you can't have a pure um, justice because it's coming from a fellow broken man. Yeah. Does so, that so to tie it back in, I essentially, it's a really long way to say that we have to reposture ourselves when we think about the law Yeah. and what it, what its purpose actually is and how it would have been read and how we understand what God's trying to accomplish with it. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to stone everyone, right? Like that's just, that's just not the yeah. posture. Yeah. Again, he's trying to create boundaries to say, this is what living within the covenant of God is and mm-hmm. looks like and when uh, when they do this they're they are underneath the blessings of god not that they're earning the blessings of god but it's it's like life is better yeah. <laughs> when there's not adultery yeah. in your community exactly you know? exactly well i would say the reason we understand um the scandalous person of of jesus who is pure grace to us is because we understand the law and its purpose. And so what God was trying to do for his people is he was trying to atone for their sin. He was trying to purify them and he was trying to sanctify them. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can see the system is broken, but it does convict them and show them how impossible it is to achieve. And so then when Christ comes along and achieves it Mm. and it's given freely, and then we find out that we don't even have to put in our own power and effort to make it happen that it comes freely as a gift from him, then it's like it opens up this whole new um, understanding of what God is doing. And without that peace beforehand, we don't realize the scandalous grace that comes with Christ in yeah. the New Testament. Yeah, and how? And I think a small aspect we see from this story is that we see that when man is attempting to enact God's justice, it's often incredibly flawed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because of yeah. their own sin. Yeah. So so it's, it's, it's really magnified in this story, but it's like that's... That's the backdrop, mm-hmm. you know, of... Yeah, and you see that because to. they leave out the man mm-hmm. and they just bring this woman. Yeah, it's just yes. flawed. It's a flawed It's a flawed attempt to try and enact justice. Right. So yeah. man's flawed at carrying out God's law, you know, and, and the practice of it. And man is flawed in their ability to enact God's justice. Right. And right. so not only does God have to, you know, enact, help innate understand and explain what justice is, he also has to carry it out himself, right? You know, and pay the penalty, right? Which is why they. I mean, one of the things that Scott talked about in the sermon was that they were not qualified mm-hmm. right. to judge, um, and not and not just because God didn't want men to carry out those things, because because men did carry out those things, but that they were not qualified because they all they also had sin in their life that mm-hmm. needed to be judged as well. Um, one of the things that this this reminded me of is just what. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter three, where he was talking about 
um, just the this the role of Christ as being both just and the justifier, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, um, he says, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Everyone has. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was, and this is, this is the part that I think it was what it gets to. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And so you have this incredible picture of Jesus doing that, offering justice um, while simultaneously being ju- like justifying mm-hmm. this woman in front of them. You can look back at this woman and, and see that, you know, the law is true and she is guilty because of it. And so you see that she is deserving of death and she's actually rightly accused. But um, Jesus does the scandalous thing and, and does not condemn her. Mm-hmm. Um, so why, though? Why? What what authority does he have to over kind of overwrite the law at this point and, and, and not have her stoned. Yeah. I mean, Jesus has the, um, the authority to, to do this because I mean, one, he's the son of God, uh, but, but he, he, what God does also has to be just, this is, this is what we're saying, right? So he has to, he has to uphold justice. If, if all that he did was uphold justice, Mitch is kind of like what you said earlier, he would just condemn everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, like everybody would be done. Um, and so he's not going to do that either. And so, so what Scott got to on Sunday was, hey, look, Jesus is um, forgiving her, is is freeing her, but doing so uh, knowing that he is going to be going to the cross, mm-hmm. knowing that that on the cross he's actually going to be going to be paying the price that she deserved in that moment, and that's that's an incredible picture of grace there. I mean, I mean, literally she should have died right there for her sin right there in the street. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have no idea what Jesus is writing into the ground. Like we'll start there and, mm-hmm. and we obviously may talk about that more, but we have no idea what he's writing in the ground. Um, there's a lot of silence in this story, lots yeah. of people walking away, lots of, but at some point in the story, again, the Pharisees had kind of already, they're already um, kind of assuming that he's making claims about his authority. That's why they brought this woman to him. Yeah, yeah. But something happens in this story between this woman being caught in her sin and Christ establishing his authority and then him um, instructing her to look around and see that no one's there mm-hmm. and then to tell her to go and to sin no more that... Um, paints this picture for us that we understand that the grace that he's giving, which he's fully in the right position to do, um, empowers her to go and to live. And not no one's assuming that she literally never sins again the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this tremendous, um, incredible, we could throw as many words we want in front of it as possible, grace that God's extending that moves this woman that you know, caught in the act as we're talking about. So, so I, I don't know this for sure, but say that they literally just caught her, right. <laughs> you know, they caught her and they ran to Christ to find her caught in the act to transitioning, to have the posture of to go and sin no more. 
And do we think that if like she was just like, okay, cool, and then she goes back and does it again, that Jesus would have let her walk away? I don't think so, but that's outside of it. But the 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 thing is, it's that grace, um, the grace of Christ extended to each of us, as Chris was saying. We may not have this like caught in our sin story, you know, um, but some people do. Um, is enables us to go on and look back at what God's done for us as a foundation for how we live going forward. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think that the second greatest story of all time to the Bible <laughs> is Les Mis. And I don't know if you've seen it. I really do okay. believe it's in the history of the world. And, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, I need to put that caveat on it because I'm not talking like my favorite book. Yeah, I'm just saying if you look at all the all the writings throughout the history of the world, all the stories, all the narratives. This is purely Mitch's... Um, and this is his opinion now. We're going to get the is the second greatest story because <laughs> you got to think of the whole history of the world. So, um, again, what we see through stories like Les Mis, which are just a, man, they are a microscopic version of what God extends to us, is the power that extending grace to someone can have in the way that they go forward in their life. Mm-hmm that um, grace catalyzes us to not only extend grace to others, but to love um, going forward. And, and really, not only is there the miraculous work of grace for us, but there's even just the message of grace that postures us to say, you know, like, and sin, sin doesn't have a place, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. and sin doesn't hold a candle to what God's done for me. And and really, it's it should position us to posture ourselves towards other people, which is what we see throughout the entire story of Les Mis. Is yeah. He's getting ready to get convicted for this crime. In case crime. you haven't seen it, the main guy. John Valjean the main guy. John Valjean, he experiences grace, but then he put, gets put in a position to extend grace to someone else later on in the story. And Absolutely. Yeah. Bring them yeah <laughs> so, beautiful so so yeah. so so yeah. again just just to say that like we see you see this in stories time and time again but this is um what the grace that god has extended to us individually um collectively as the judge you know is is really can enable and empower us to go forward right and live a life where sin is not the centerpiece of our joy mm-hmm. anymore. Well, well, let's dig into that a little bit because that that was Scott's second application point that the word of grace empowers us to obey. Um, so what are some of the implications of the grace of God in that sense? Like what does, what does the grace of God in our life then do in us, change us and empower us to be able to do? I mean, very practically speaking, what are we talking about there? Yeah, well, well I, I'll answer one way yep. and I, I don't actually think it's probably the best way, but one way to answer <laughs> okay. this question. I love that premise. Yeah. I just want to say that, but but again, um, in other words, Mitch has a better answer, but he's not going to give it to you. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm saying I think there are better answers out there than the answer I'm going to give you. <laughs> so, so I, so people um, often sin. Um, sin rules our life. Yeah. Um, remember, as Brian Chapel said, people do what they love, mm-hmm. and so many people, their entire um, joy, identity, um, the the way that they experience any sort of excitement, happiness in their life is built upon practices that are foundational in sin for mm-hmm. many people. It it can be bad business practices. It can be um, an adulterous relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you've got issues with your marriage, and so you've dove into this relationship, and this is where you're finding your joy. And, mm-hmm. you know, as awful as it is to say that, like, that, that that's, again, uh, many people, they turn to something 
because it's offering them joy and peace. That's not withstanding. And, and the more we dive into that trap, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we see. Well, in again, and this may not be everyone, like mm-hmm. this is not everybody's story, but again, the grace that God extends to somebody that's caught in their sin is that it doesn't define you anymore. Mm-hmm. That again, your identity is actually placed in the work of Jesus. Right. And not in the actions that you've been doing. Right. So while you repent of your actions and you go and sin no more, they're not foundational to your identity. That is offered to every single person. Mm-hmm. Like just just to think about that. Like there's there's not something, some action that you do that will define you going forward in your relationship with Christ. And so for me, I, I think that that's that's what grace enablement looks like. Is it frees me to say that, like, well. Like, yeah, I don't have to do these bad business practices anymore. Yeah. I don't have to get my, you know, fill by coming home and chewing my wife out every day from the frustrations that I have at work. Yeah. Because those things are not what define me. Yeah. You're saying because of the identity change, then those things no longer governs the Mm -hmm. way that you respond or Mm -hmm. the way that you act. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've always wondered why when he tells her go and sin no more that she, like, you know, we all look at that and think there's, well, surely she sinned again because she's human. And, and, you know, when we become Christ followers, we don't just stop sinning because we're still in the flesh. Mm -hmm. So it makes me think of the long game. Um, And so if I see this woman who is standing before the, the, um, the son of God, or as the scripture calls him, the son of man, I was talking to Chris earlier about this passage in Luke that just, um, you know, where Luke is talking to the people and telling them to um, to be on their guard and avoid temptation because um, at one point you will stand before the Son of Man in the day of the Lord. And so if I'm thinking about that, that one day I will stand exposed for all I've done, all the good I've done, all the bad I've done, all the good things that seemed good but were actually done because I wanted them and they were they were for my glory and not his. Those will be laid bare in front of him. Um, how do I want to be received? And I know how I will be received. I know that he will receive me the way he has treated this woman. And I think that's why this story is here, is so that we see that when we are going to stand in front of him at one point, that he will he will, <laughs> Mitch is nodding and he totally messed me up. You're done. <laughs> but when we stand before him one day, he will um, right every wrong and he will take the burden upon him upon himself um, and we will not stand condemned. And so that's the the hope that we look for. And that's the grace that enables me to, to stop sinning um, and to choose him because I love him more for that. Mm. See, what I was going to say was that there is, are better answers out there. And oh, it's no. your answer. <laughs> no, no, no. So I, th- I think too. Uh, th- there is a, there, as Chris said, there is a practical component to the yeah. way that we live out our lives, which is kind of. I gave you more of the earthly perspective, but there's this eternal component to it too. Mm-hmm. That again, that grace enables us to actually live. There's not just this moment of um, salvation, and then we just sit on the couch for the rest of our life like Wally, you know, and fly around the, the spaceship if you've never seen it. I mean, I'm a movie oh guy my gosh, today. I don't I know why. I have no idea what you're talking Wally? about now. you never seen Wally? 
I've never Wally. seen that. Oh, classic. That yeah, the people sitting on the couches, moving around the spaceship, <laughs> doing nothing. Nope. Yeah, that's not what life looks like. So there's a there's a practical piece of grace I, enabling. I could have told you that. I didn't need to see the movie. <laughs> but there's also an eternal perspective to it. That <laughs> was all uh, I was saying. We'll leave it to COVID year to um, really have an eternal perspective. We've talked about it many times on the podcast, and I'm so grateful. I think that you know every night as I pray with my boys, well, it doesn't help that I'm taking a John theology class right now and read the book of revelation that that the end is on my mind constantly because if we if we lose sight of that then what are we living for we are um we are watching this unfold because we know what the outcome is going to be and Mm -hmm. that's the hope we have um and that we won't be condemned because we are in christ and he has been humiliated and taken the punishment upon himself yeah i think we'll just close with this passage from titus 2 because this seems to kind of because all, pa- all podcasts close with passages from Title II. Yeah, this is it. This is... <laughs> do they? Do they really? No, uh, we might be the first one. Yeah. <laughs> no, but this, this passage seems to encapsulate exactly what we're saying here. So, um, so it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So this is, this is, this is just what we're getting to. Like, the grace of God... The first thing that it does is it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It it gives us, as Brian Chappell says, a better love mm-hmm. than our sin, a better love than 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 everything of this world. That the thing that we love more is God, and so it trains us to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Check this out: waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God's building a family and he's beginning it right now. And uh, our new identity is in him. And so we should then we, 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 we begin to just look like that family even here and now. Um, and what a hope that is. <laughs> what a good story. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll, we, we'll see you next time on the Sunday Recap. What, okay, before we, before we close, Mitch, what is the quintessential Les Miserables, uh, the movie, the play, which version of it would, would you go for? Well... I've also read the book, but and the oh, book. Let's, okay. let's talk about that. No, um, honestly, I think the Liam Neeson movie. Ah, is, I get, I get, I get a lot of critique for this, but yeah. I think the Liam Neeson movie is uh, more enjoyable to most viewers than the musical. You have to prepare yourself when you watch the musical that it's it's an opera in the sense that there may be twenty words said in the whole thing. Yeah, so it's singing the entire time. Yeah. So for for most viewers, they can't watch almost two hours of just people singing straight. Gotcha. It's great. There's some powerful music in there. And even this is the last thing I'll say, and I'm definitely taking us over time. <laughs> from, from a cinematic perspective, the they actually, um, the way they shot the musical is incredible. So yeah. they're, all the audio that you hear, which you may be like, oh, they don't sound great, is literally the live singing of it's them all in the live, scenes. Yeah. yeah. So they're actually playing the track in their ears and they're singing it live. It's not post produced music, say cool. like Greatest Showman, which is another great movie. But yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. 